Good morning for our scripture reading this morning. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Luke 14, we'll begin in verse 25 and read down through the end of the chapter. Gospel of Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. The Bible says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this area of discipleship that you teach us so much about. First of all, thank you that that we are disciples, that we are saved, that we're followers of you, that you have shed your blood so that we can be a disciple. Um, But Lord, just because we are saved doesn't necessarily mean we are living a life of discipleship. And Father, I just pray that we this morning would evaluate ourselves on whether or not we are, we are truly following you and learning of you and, and drawing close to you and, and, and really being a disciple of you. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, convict us on, on that matter. And Lord, be with preacher as he preaches to us and just fill him with your Holy Spirit and strengthen him and put your hand upon him in a mighty way as he preaches to us. And Lord, um, I, just saw, I also just thank you so much for Miss Vicki. Thank you, Lord, for just the, the consistent service that, that she has given to you for, for over 42 years in, in this church. And Lord, I just pray that you'd put your hand upon her and her health and um, in a mighty way, Lord, help her physically, spiritually. And Father, I just pray that um, as, as she... Um, just continues to live her life for you, that you'd strengthen her and help her. And Lord, I, I thank you so much for my wife, for Kristen. Lord, what, a, what an encouragement and a support she is to me, and I, I can, cannot ever thank you enough for her. Lord, I also just pray that you'd bless her and her health and strengthen her as, as her and I walk together for you. Lord, we need you for it. Lord, bless this morning, and I just pray that ultimately you'd be honored and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 14, we want to talk about discipleship today and examining discipleship. 
us being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word disciple is used more than 265 times in the New Testament. There's a question about discipleship in John's chapter, chapter 18, that everyone who possesses and professes to be a Christian must answer. It's a question that we must answer today. Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? That's a question for us this morning, isn't it? It was posed by a young girl to Peter as he warmed his hands by the fire in John 18 and verse 17. In the New Testament day, the followers of Jesus Christ were called disciples. Later, they were called Christians. That name only occurs three times in the New Testament. Disciple occurs 265 times. Today, many people who are called Christians, we would not call them true disciples in the sense of the New Testament word disciple. All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples, unfortunately. The word Christian defines our belief, what we believe as far as God and his word is concerned. The word disciple defines our behavior, how we act and how we live. In James chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible tells us that faith, that's our belief, without works, that's our behavior, is dead. Faith without works is dead. The word disciple in the Greek language means a taught or trained one, or a learner follower. That means that the student learned as he literally followed the teacher. And that's what Jesus' disciples did, didn't they? They followed Jesus and they learned as they followed him. That should be what we're doing, amen? We are following Jesus and I hope all of us are learning as we follow him. We're learning how to live and we're learning how to act. It was common in ancient times for teachers to attract followers that would actually commit themselves exclusively to that one particular teacher. These teachers would train the students much like we have interns and like we train them today. It was on-the-job training. The word apprentice, we know that word is the same type of a thing today. The disciples experienced and expected not only to learn all that the teacher knew, but also to act like the teacher act. In other words, to build the character of the teacher into the life of the learner. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, it says that Jesus appointed 12, and this is an interesting phrase, it says, that they might be with him. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ today, how much time do we spend with him? That's what God wants for us, that we might be with him. Those early disciples were with him at all times. They were with him at all places. They were his companions as he traveled. They were witnesses of all of the work that he did. They were students of, his, of the doctrines that he taught. They were fellow laborers. They were in a practical school of experience. And in reality, they were commissioned to carry out his worldwide campaign of taking the gospel to all of the world. They were learning learning by their daily companionship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with their master. 
They were learning that they should do and they should believe and they should teach and they should witness the things that they saw and heard in the Lord Jesus Christ. In September of 1999, the first international consultation on discipleship was held in England. There were 450 Christian leaders representing 50 different countries. Their focus was on the decline of on discipleship. They stressed the fact that Jesus charged the first disciples in Matthew 28 to go and to make disciples in all nations. And they underscored the fact that it didn't say make converts of all nations. The Lord said make disciples of all nations. And there's a difference. Among the speakers at that convention, there was a man by the name of R.W. Stott. In his message, he called attention to the strange and disturbing paradox, he said, of enormous statistical church growth without corresponding growth in discipleship. He went on to say, God is not pleased with superficial discipleship. Evangelism without discipleship dispenses cheap grace, is what he said. Another speaker said, the church is one mile long and only one inch deep. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? Discipleship is not just believing information alone. It is character transformation. Our life is changed. We become like the one that we are following. And I'm afraid today, from 1999, when they had that first convention on discipleship, I'm afraid that things have worsened in our world today. We have less true disciples. And a question that we must ask is, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ in the New Testament standard, or am I only a Christian according to current standards in our world today? Jesus does not invite us to be casual acquaintances. He wants us to be fully devoted followers of his. So let's honestly evaluate this morning our own personal discipleship status and examine what the New Testament says a, a, a true disciple really looks like. There are three things that I want you to notice this morning. First of all, I want you to notice the types of disciples or the types of followers of Jesus. There are several different types, different degrees of followers with different motives. If you'll back up a few chapters, keep your finger there in Luke 14, back up to Luke chapter 9 with me. And in Luke chapter 9, you find three different kinds of followers, or three different types of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 7 with me. Luke chapter 9, and verse number 7. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, talking about Jesus, and he was perplexed. Now this is King Herod. He hears all that's going on that Jesus has done. He, he's, a, he's perplexed. He's disturbed by all of it. Because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. Now you can imagine Herod had John beheaded. And now he hears all the things Jesus is doing. And he thinks that this is John risen from the dead. That would be quite scary for you if you were the one that put him to death. Verse 8. And some of some, that Elias had appeared. Some said that Jesus was Elias. Of others, that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, 
But who is this of whom I hear such things? And notice this phrase, it says, And he desired to see him. Herod wanted to see him. I call Herod the calloused follower. The calloused follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a strange statement that's given here. Herod told the people he desired to see Jesus. And that's interesting. He had heard about all the things that Jesus did. You know, I wonder how many people in our world today hear about all the things that Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. Do they hear enough about it that they want to see him? In other words, do we talk enough about Jesus that they want to see him? Do people want to come to church? Do they want to hear the word of God? Do they want to learn about Jesus because they've heard from us? Are we faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, Herod did not have good intentions. He was a callous murderer. He had put John the Baptist to death. But there are always those, and there are those today in our world who are calloused, who have hardened hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ. They're skeptics. They're cynical. They look for every opportunity to criticize the Christian and criticize our faith and criticize our salvation. That sort of described the Pharisees of Jesus' day. There are those who follow the Christian crowd and hang around the fringes just waiting for an opportunity to criticize and to oppose. They're cynical. They're critical. They are calloused. And Jesus had those type of people in his day as well. And then there are also the curious followers of Jesus. In verse number 11 of Luke chapter 9, it says again, And the people, when they knew it, followed him. He speaks of the people there. There's always the curious crowd around Jesus. There was the people. Look down at verse number 13. It says, But he said unto them, Give ye to them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. He talks about this people. And then down in verse 19, listen to their answer. He said, uh, or in verse 18, I'm sorry, he says, And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? There's a crowd around Jesus. They're the curious. They've heard enough to, to spark their interest. They want to see the miracles and so forth. And listen to the answer that they gave. In verse 18, it says he was, he's, he's uh, talking to them, and, and he says, Whom say the people that I am? Verse 19, they answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias. Others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. There was a lot of ideas about who Jesus was. He is. Can I tell you that there are a lot of ideas in our world today about who Jesus really is? A lot of people don't really know. Some don't want to know. But some do want to know. They're curious and they have different ideas about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. A curious crowd. They remind me of the crowd that came to hear the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill of whom Paul said in Acts 17, 21, he said they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They just wanted to find something new to talk about. You know, some people that are just curious about Jesus. We have people like that in our world today. The truth makes no impact upon their lives. They just want to hear something that might thrill them or something that might traumatize them or tantalize them. 
but they are not transformed. It's not they want to hear because they want their lives to be changed. They just want something to talk about. There are people in churches like that today. They want to come for their weekly religious pep rally. Don't try to change my life. I want to come to church. I want to hear a little bit, but I don't want to change my life. I want to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. There's no response to the truth presented, and they want to make no application of it to their lives. I heard about a preacher one time who over the years watched three men in his church as he pastored, and they were businessmen, they were regular attenders, they were professing Christians. Regardless of what the message was about or who delivered it, they were never moved by anything that happened. They sometimes dozed off from time to time in the service. They looked around at the chandeliers, the wall, and the floor, and sometimes at their wives, they're totally indifferent to what the speaker was saying. Church was sort of a holy humdrum to them. It was just something that they did. The only reason that the pastor ever detected why they came was to point out some grammatical error that he would make in his sermon or to argue some strange twist on the message or the, or, or the thought or the subject that he preached. The only time he saw any signs of excitement was when there was some event or some sensational personality in the city and they would go to that venue or they would hear and see the latest and, and they were curious. When they came to church, they were just curious. They were not truth seekers. They were casual Christians and casual Christians become casualties, which is what those men became. Jesus had that kind of a group in his audience. Certainly they could not be called disciples according to the New Testament definition of a disciple. They were just callous, casual, curious. But then there's another group. There's the committed. The committed. In verse 23 of Luke chapter 9, he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Here are some that knew who Jesus was and had committed themselves to be his disciples. They had some discernment. And Jesus answered this group of people or asked this group of people some questions. And the main question behind all that he's asking them is, do you really know who I am? Did they really know who Jesus Christ was? And look at Peter's answer in verse number 20. It says, Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Another passage, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. A person becomes a disciple in the biblical sense only when that person knows who Jesus Christ really is. And they commit themselves to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives, for time and eternity. 
There are those that follow Jesus in various degrees. There are those who follow him at different levels of commitment. But let me sum up this thought in a little bit of a different way. First of all, there are the bread seekers. There are those, John 6, 26 says, Jesus said, Ye seek me because ye eat of the loaves. He had performed the miracle of multiplying the five loaves and the two fish, and 5,000 people ate of that. And Jesus said, There's some that you just come because of what you get out of it. The bread seekers. You come what you get. And then there are those who are the name wearers. They are those that call themselves Christians without being Christ-like. They wear the name, but their life hasn't been changed. Jesus said of the church at Sardis in Revelation 3 and verse 1, He said, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. You know, there's a lot of people that claim the name of Christ. They use the name Christian. I remember some years ago, hearing and reading about the Wild West, and there was a town that had a, had a saloon in it, and had a big sign over the saloon It said, Christian Brothers Saloon. And this one fellow moved to town, and he was a Christian. He was a true Christian. He saw that he couldn't understand. How can you have a Christian Brothers Saloon? And so he finally went and asked him, and they said, well, the man that owns it, his last name is Christian, so it's called Christian Saloon. Well, that's a Typical example of a name wearer. He had the name up there, Christian, but the saloon didn't match the name, did it? And I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians today who bear the name Christian, but our lives don't match what the name says. There's the name wearers. And then there's also the cross bearers. The cross bearers. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Cross bearers are true disciples. Those who are willing to bear the cross daily. A missionary was surprised in a prayer meeting one time to hear one of his African converts pray this prayer. As he prayed, he said, O oh Lord, thread me through your needle. Thread me through your needle. And the missionary was kind of startled by it, and so after the prayer meeting, he went up and he asked the man, what do you mean, thread me through your needle? And the African man explained that a few days before, he had seen a woman sewing with needle and thread. And he said, I noticed that the thread always followed the needle. And he said, the Lord showed him that day by that simple illustration what a true disciple was. He said, Christ is like the eye of the needle. And he said, I'm like the thread. He said, oh Lord, you're the needle. I'm the thread. Wherever you go, I go. That's true discipleship. Following him. Are you willing to let Christ be the needle? And you be the thread? That takes true commitment. There are those who want to be committed disciples, but when they're put to the test, they fail. So what are the tests? How can we tell if we are a true disciple? Let's look at the test. Go back to our passage in Luke chapter 14 with me again. And in that passage, there are three times when the Bible says the words, cannot. Cannot. Three times the Lord says, 
Here's something you must do, and if you don't do it, you cannot be my disciple. Elsewhere, the Bible tells us that we are to love and cherish our siblings and our mates and our family. But look at what he says in chapter 14 and verse 26 of Luke. He says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Boy, what a strong statement that is. What does the Lord mean by that? I believe the Lord simply means that Jesus Christ must be preeminent in our, in our life. He must be in first place. No one is to have the place that Jesus Christ has in our life. And if anyone has a higher place in my life than Jesus Christ, he said, then I cannot be his disciple. Our love for all others, in comparison to our love for Jesus Christ, is like hatred. You've been driving down the highway sometime. Maybe once in your lifetime you were doing the speed limit. And you saw somebody go flying by you. And you said they flew past us and made it look like we were standing still. Were you standing still? No, you might have been doing 55, 65, 70 miles an hour. But compared to what you were doing, they were flying by. Roy Leach used to live and stayed in our home for a little while before he went to the nursing home and then went to heaven. And Roy always drove slower than the speed limit. When our kids are at home once in a while, they'd ride up to church. We lived down off of the Richwood exit then. and They'd ride up to church, and one day we got to church, and they said, Dad, Mom, you won't believe it. We passed six cars today with Roy. And then they said, there was a car carrier truck beside the road that had stopped, and we passed him. <laughs> well, they really did pass him like he was standing still, because he was standing still. God says our love for him in comparison looks like we're standing still. It makes our love, and we ought to love our parents, and we ought to love our siblings, and we ought to love our mates, but our love for the Lord ought to be so much greater that it makes that love look like hatred. How much love do we have for the Lord? The relationship test. How's my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? In 1932, Gladys Alliard, and some of you have read her biographies, she put a note on her pillow she left to go to China as a missionary. And her mother came and found the note on her pillow, and it read this, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Love, Gladys. She left father and mother to go to China as a missionary. 1932 is a little different than, 19, than 2022, isn't it? She didn't have jet planes to fly over and back. She didn't have cell phones. She didn't have internet. You know, some of the years, and I grew up in a Christian home, and our, my dad, our church, supported missionaries. There were times when we would write letters to missionaries, and it would sometimes take months to get an answer back from them. When Gladys Allard left, it meant breaking pretty much contact with her family as she knew it. And she left that note 
He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Love Gladys. Can you pass the relationship test? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anybody else? Secondly, there's the lordship test. The lordship test. Look down at verse number 27 of Luke chapter 14. It says, And whosoever does not bear, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's the second time that word cannot is used. Whosoever doth not bear his cross cannot be my disciple. The test here is one to determine who really is in control of my life. Who controls your life? You or Jesus Christ? Am I going to opt out for a self-centered, satisfied life or am I going to yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and live a self-sacrificing life in which Jesus Christ is the Lord? If he is not Lord at all, he is not Lord at all if he is not Lord in all the areas of my life. Am I willing to let him be first place? To be disciples of Christ, the would-be disciple must be willing to reject every other authority and be solely under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you're under Christ's authority, he puts you under other authorities as well. But he is the primary authority. Unless we're willing to put him first place, we cannot be his disciples. Who is in control is the question. Who's in control of your life? Who's in control of my life? The lordship test is a question of our will. Have we surrendered our human will? Am I debating the claims of Christ on my life or am I surrendering to his claims? Am I arguing with him or am I yielding to him? That's the lordship test. And then there's a third test and that's the stewardship test. Look at verse 33. Again, the word cannot is used. He said, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciples. The stewardship test. What is your attitude towards possessions? What is your attitude towards things? We've often heard the statement, there's nothing wrong with things. Nothing wrong with having things as long as things don't have you. Amen? They don't control you. They don't possess you. Do we consider the things that we have trusts that the Lord has given to us and we are simply stewards of what belongs to Him. We own nothing. He owns it all. Or are our assets our own? Do we hold tightly to them? The test of stewardship calls into question the matter of ownership. Who's the owner? He owns everything. He should in our lives. Once the matter of ownership is established, stewardship for the conscientious Christian is settled. He owns it, and I'm just the steward. You ever seen a bumper sticker that says, I owe, I owe, to, so off to work I go? Every once in a while you'll see one of those again. When it comes to stewardship, a good bumper sticker might be, I owe, I owe, so off to the life of stewardship I go. Not that we owe debts or we get ourselves in debt. The Lord teaches us to stay out of debt. 
But we stay out of debt because we owe everything to him. And everything that I have belongs to him. The Apostle Peter is typical of so many of us. He didn't start out the most perfect disciple at all, did he? But he did grow into a dedicated, disciplined disciple. At one stage in his development, he still hadn't passed the stewardship test. And listen to what he said in Matthew 19 and verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, unto Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter hadn't passed the stewardship test yet. He said, Lord, we've forsaken everything and we've followed you now. What do we get out of it? What's in it for me? You know, there's a lot of people that are Christians for what's in it for us. What do I get out of it? And we have to be careful about that because there are many promises in the Word of God and there are many blessings that we have because of being Christians and obedient to the Lord. But that's not we are, why we are disciples. We're disciples because of who He is and what He's done for us. In that same passage in Matthew chapter 19, I want you to listen to what it says in verse 28 and, and 29 and 30. It's all right, the Lord was just letting us know it's time to hurry up. Look at Matthew chapter 19 with me. We read verse 27. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now listen to verse 28. Jesus answered Peter. Look at what he said to him. Verily, verily, I, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, and brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The pa in order to pass the stewardship test in our lives, we have to look beyond time to eternity. Amen. To eternity. We have to not just look at the here and now, here on this earth, but we look at what the Lord has for us in heaven for all of eternity. One day our life will be over and we'll stand before God. What did the Lord say to, to, in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That doesn't mean we're irresponsible. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care for our needs now and for our future needs and so forth. But the bottom line is we trust the Lord. Our dependence and reliance is in Him and not in the possessions that we have. We look to the future. And the Lord said, hey, you've given up some things, Peter, but I've got some wonderful things for you later on. Just be patient, I'll take care of it. The Lord's not a debtor to anybody. Amen. And by the way, if all we ever got was heaven, <laughs> it's worth it, isn't it? To not have to spend eternity in the fires of hell forever and ever. But even more than that, say, what could be more than heaven? We get to see and be with Jesus. 
our Lord and our Savior and our God for all of eternity. What a privilege that is. So the three tests of discipleship in Luke 14 give us some questions that we have to ask ourselves. First of all, do we love others more than Jesus? Do we love others more than Jesus? I remember when I was a student in college back a few years ago, and Vicky and I met and we got engaged. And You know, I, I, I was praying for the rapture, but I wanted it to wait until after I got married. Anybody else ever have those kind of thoughts? And you at least wait a little, you know. But the Lord said, hey, do you love me more than that young lady you're going to marry? Do we love Jesus more than others? Second question is, do we love self more than Jesus? Do we love ourselves? Peter said, what am I going to get out of it? Sometimes we're more concerned about what we get. The honest truth is, true discipleship is about what we get to give, isn't it? God blesses us and we get to give. We love Jesus more than we do ourselves. And the third question is, do we love things more than Jesus? Do we love things more than Jesus? Again, the question that I want to ask, I asked to you earlier, am I a disciple by New Testament standards or merely a Christian by 21st century standards? Bobby Richardson was a famous New York Yankees baseball player. He was a committed Christian, and, and one time he was asked in a, in a church service to close in prayer. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Dear Lord, your will... Nothing more, nothing else, nothing less. Amen. Amen. Could you pray that prayer? Your will, nothing more, nothing else, nothing less. Amen. Well, we've seen the types of followers. We've seen the test of followers. Let me give you last quickly the true followers of Jesus. There are five hallmarks of true followers of Jesus back in Luke chapter 9. And I'll only mention them and encourage you to study them later on on your own. The first mark of a true follower is that he fellowships with Christ in worship. He fellowships with Christ in worship. In Luke chapter 9 and verse number 18, it came to pass he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. As he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. Let me ask you a question. Do you fellowship with the Lord in worship? You take time to worship and pray and spend time with the Lord. Secondly, a true, fellow, a true follower of Jesus Christ is faithful to Christ in his witness. He's faithful in his witness. In verse 20 of Luke chapter 9, he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ of God. Peter is faithful to give a witness. Jesus, you're the Christ. You're God. Are you faithful to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? And then a true follower forsakes not Christ, but the world. In verse 24 and 25, he says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? A true follower of Jesus Christ is willing to forsake the world in order to follow Jesus Christ. Too often times we want to follow the world and not Jesus. And then a true follower 
is a friend of Christ and of his words. He's a friend of Christ and his words. Luke 9, 26 says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words. He said, If you're ashamed of Christ and of your words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come into his own glory and in his fathers and in the holy angels. Are we a true friend of Christ or are we ashamed of him? Are we a friend of his words? In John 8, 31, he said, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. A true Christian has a vibrant relationship. A true discipleship spends time with the Lord and witnesses about his Lord and walks with his Lord. I'm afraid too many of us are like the church that the Lord spoke of of Laodicea in Revelation 3 and 20. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's too many Christians, the Lord's standing at their door knocking. Oh, they've invited him in to be their savior, but there's no fellowship and there's no real intimate communion and relationship with Jesus Christ. In conclusion, as we think about who is the standard for disciple, the standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gave that answer in Matthew 10, 25. He said, it is enough for the disciple, that he be as his master. Are we like our master? Are we following him? Are we living for him? Are we true learners? When Cortez landed at Veracruz, Mexico in 1519, he began his conquest of Mexico with a small force of about 700 men. His men watched him as he purposely set fire to the 11 ships that they had come on to the shores of Mexico. And they watched them burn and sink to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. With no means of retreat, the men only had one way to go, and that was to follow their leader. They turned their faces to Cortez and marched forward, following him into the Mexican interior to meet whatever may come their way. And if we are to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be true disciples, we must be willing to let go of the past and purposely turn our backs on the world and follow the Lord Jesus Christ in him alone. The young woman asked Peter the question, Art, now, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? I ask you that question in closing this morning. Will you also be his disciple? Are you callous? Are you a curious follower? Or are you a committed follower? Are you fellowshipping with Christ in worship? Are you faithful in your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you following him in your walk? Are you forsaking the world and not Christ? And are you a friend of Christ and of his words? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, what a tremendous challenge. I wonder how we would answer someone asked, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? May we be able to say, Yes, I'm not just a callous disciple. I'm not just a curious, I'm committed to Jesus Christ. May we purpose in our hearts and in our lives to look at where we are today in our walk with you.
And may we become more committed and more faithful. May we be a true disciple by New Testament standards, not just a Christian by the standards of our world today. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.